0: Because it's something I hear all the time from clients and potential clients that they feel really like they should be doing this better, right? And I can assure you that people across our client load, there are people that have incredibly successful businesses that literally have no idea what their marketing metrics are. They just know that something's obviously working because they've got some money in the bank account.
1: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to the show. In today's episode, I am talking to Rita Berry, a certified measurement marketer. And I'm really excited for this interview because there's nothing I like more than geeking out about A-B tests and figuring out how we can make our marketing just a little bit more scientific so that we can be getting bigger results without having to work any harder. Because that's really what data-driven marketing allows you to do so with that being said allow me to introduce to you Rita Berry welcome to the show Rita So I'm really excited to be talking to you about data-driven marketing today. Uh, I checked out your website and I've been taking a look at you around the internet. And I can see that you're doing some really interesting things. And I immediately knew that I wanted to talk to you because one of my favorite things that I do in all of the different aspects of marketing that we do at the company is A-B testing. And the reason I love it so much is because it seems like it gives me real factual answers about my marketing. Back in school, I always really liked math class more than creative writing, even though I enjoy writing, because in math class, there were definite right answers, but in writing class, not so much. It seemed, (laughs) yeah, it just seemed like it was a little bit more theoretical, a little bit more subject to personal opinion, and sometimes marketing can feel a lot that way. But when I run an A-B test and I see the data that one option, you know, one variation clearly outperformed another... I can see that I have a definite answer, and I feel really confident moving forward. And I can see that that is what you help your clients with. So that's why I'm so excited to be talking to you today. So could you start out by just telling us a little bit about the work that you do? For sure. Uh, We have kind of two main avenues
0: of business. Um, One is kind of acquisition and paid traffic. And the second piece, which we're going to be focusing on today, is really all about measuring people's marketing efforts. And so kind of in the digital space that we all live in, the just the opportunities to measure everything that we do is really almost infinite and therefore quite overwhelming. Uh, Because since you can measure everything, the question is then, should you measure everything? And the spoiler alert is no, you really (laughs) shouldn't. Uh, But ultimately, we just really help our clients understand the math of how their business makes money And that really is all that marketing metrics are. It's just they seem really intimidating when you come at them from just spreadsheets and Google Analytics and just data, 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 instead of that big picture look of of, I'm just going to figure out how all this marketing stuff that I do actually turns into dollars and cents at the end.
1: That makes so much sense. And I can really relate to what you just said about how when there's so much that we could measure, it's really difficult to figure out what we should measure. I run into that on a daily basis with my business where we use all these different marketing platforms and pieces of marketing software that spit out all this data at us. Everything from email, open rates and click-through rates to how well a landing page is converting or how many sales we're generating from any given product on any given day. Um, and it's a lot to sort through. So considering Considering all of that, where would you recommend someone in my position start? So
0: the biggest thing is exactly what you said. It's really understanding that there is so much available to you and all of it is siloed. And that's one of the, you know, it's in tool A, B, C, and D. Um, So that's also something to consider is that when you're looking at data across different sources like that, it's going to be innately confusing because they all measure often the same thing differently. Mm -hmm. and that can be really, really confusing and very frustrating, not only just to people that are new, but also to people that do this for a living. It's endlessly you know, frustrating for um, those of us that measure marketing because a page view and a conversion rate are measured differently across different pieces of software. So if you're not aware of that, and then you're trying to like examine these things, you're like, well, this tool says this number, this tool says this number, they don't agree how am I supposed to figure out what's right, right? Like, so there's just so many different layers of confusion that can come with this. But the main place to start is just the kind of the curiosity, which I always say is to because marketing metrics are very similar to like bookkeeping and accounting, where people can have a lot of guilt and a lot of um, self judgment about looking at their numbers because they don't think they're good enough. They don't think they're maybe they're not math people. Right. Mm-hmm. And they feel like I'm not going to be able to understand this. So if you approach it with a curiosity of like, I'm just going to figure out how this is all working and I'm just going to, you know, keep looking into it and not be judgmental of myself because it's something I hear all the time from clients and potential clients that they feel really like they should be doing this better, right? And I can assure you that people across our client load, there are people that have incredibly successful businesses that literally have no idea what their marketing metrics are. They just know that something's obviously working because they've got some money in the bank account. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of the first piece is to just be kind with yourself about it. Um, But there's really five main areas that we concentrate on when we're looking at measuring people's marketing. And the first place is to start with a plan. So this doesn't even go anywhere near any of the tools in your marketing technology stack or in Google Analytics. It's figuring out what are the things that you actually want to measure and why do you want to measure them? Because if you can't actually take action to fix something, collecting data on it is really not very helpful, Mm -hmm. right? Because lots of people are, are tracking all of these metrics, like that quantity we talked about. And it's not really very helpful because you can't really do a lot with it. So just start super simple when you have like, say a membership site like you do or digital products. Most of the time we're starting with sales. So when we're creating that plan, it's like, well, what are my goals for my sales? What are my goals for the year? How does that translate into a monthly goal? If you're evergreen, you know, you're looking at monthly, if your launches, you're, you're kind of figuring that out in a different way. But ultimately how much do you want to sell? Because if you don't have that place you're going Like with so many things in life, if you don't know where you're going, you can't get there. Uh, And that's the biggest piece is kind of like knowing that that North Star metric that you're looking for.
1: When thinking about how much someone wants to sell, I think the challenging part of that question is always, well, don't I want to sell as much as I possibly could? So, do you have any advice there on how to make a realistic goal um, and one that you can have confidence in? Absolutely.
0: So, if you're starting with, um, so if you start with your baseline of like what you sold now, understanding how your business is currently making money with your marketing will be the place to start. Because you're right. You could say, well, I just want to make a million dollars this year. If you haven't even made a hundred thousand, that's gonna be pretty challenging and probably like just endless frustration.
1: We can't just visualize our way there.
0: (laughs) You cannot. There are no vision boards that are gonna make this happen for you. (laughs) Absolutely. So, like, say you wanted to, we'll go with hundred thousand, something that's a little bit more tangible. Like if you wanted to make a hundred thousand and you looked at what the numbers were for your business around how many leads are coming into my business? What rate do those leads off my email list turn into sales, right? And every business seems to have a pretty consistent value for that kind of the conversion rate off their list. And it's quite different from business to business, but once you learn what yours is, that will help you project it. And understanding how much traffic do you get that comes to your site? Where is that traffic coming from? And how does that traffic specifically convert that into leads and into sales? Like it really doesn't need to be more complicated than that. It really can be. Like you can go down rabbit holes doing this for a million years. But when you're just getting started and kind of getting your feet wet with the whole measurement marketing thing, there is no reason to get more complicated than some of those big macro goals. And to figure out what, how is your business currently working? Because once you have those benchmarks, you're going to see where the bottlenecks are, you know, where maybe is the conversion rate on your email list really low. You can focus on that rather than just the whole spaghetti on the wall approach where people know they're not getting the sales they want. Therefore, they try everything when it might be that your business doesn't need everything.
1: So the first step here is just to create this plan, to set your goals. And actually, I can't not mention right here, if someone wants to learn more about this part of the process, I just created a new, um, it's about 20 minute long free training called How to Predict Your Profits for the Next 12 Months that walks people through exactly that. Um, Just kind of analyzing how their business makes money um, and plugging in the numbers to figure out how much money they're going to make in the next year. So we'll leave a link to that in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. But so let's keep going. After we do this planning, then what is the next part of the process?
0: So once you know the numbers that you need to collect all the time, uh, then after that it's just finding the place that those numbers live. Now that sounds really simple, but it's it you can build out say like a Google Analytics you can go in and like pull it there, but you don't necessarily need to. If you're focusing on say sales and email, driven sales and traffic, you can get those like from your, you know, website dashboard, you can get those from your email service provider, you can get them from your shopping cart. The point is is that when you're collecting numbers, you just need to consistently take your numbers from the same source every single time. Right. Because yeah, just cause- as we talked about in the beginning, they can all be different, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem I've run into so many times where we look at sales on one platform and it says one number and we look at it on a different platform and it's a different number. And then it's this whole ordeal to figure out which number is actually right and why are they different?
0: Right. And then there's some, you know, validity to obviously when it's like a sales number, like getting to the real answer. <laughs> but when it's when we're coming from the marketing side of things, I often say it's you're looking for a useful truth. You're not looking for the absolute truth because you will really just drive yourself insane uh, with kind of, yeah, trying to do that time and time again. So it's really just pull the numbers from the same place every month or every week, however often you're, um, you're pulling your data, and just put them in a really simple spreadsheet. It does not need to be fancy graphs and all of that craziness, uh, as long as it's something that you can understand and you can maintain, potentially give to someone else to do every month, because it's not like it's fun, right? <laughs> like pulling all this data could be a little monotonous. And that's it, like, just keep track of them over time.
1: I swear my integrator thinks it is the funnest thing. It's her favorite part of her job, but I could never consistently do it because I didn't find it very fun. So I can't agree with that enough, just finding someone else to do, even if it's just like a virtual assistant or someone who can go and check those things for you and plug them into just Exactly,
0: you know, you videotape it once, right, do a screen share, and then they can just pull it over and over again. And I love the numbers and digging into it. And I don't like pulling data. Like it's just not mm-hmm. my favorite thing. Uh, and then we have other people on the team that do that. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's always nice if you don't like it to find someone else to do it if you can, just so that you can maintain that consistency. Because we all know when we hate stuff, um, what happens to the consistency <laughs> level that we have.
1: Right? Okay, so we've got some numbers in a spreadsheet and what are we gonna do with them? Right, and
0: the the biggest piece with analyzing your data is the trends over time, right? And so often it's really fun to look at the big peaks and valleys, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we have huge surges in traffic or huge, you know, bumps, or feel really bad when things go the other way. But when we're looking at marketing data and we're trying to make informed decisions and create better, more accurate plans, we're really looking for the trends over time. And so that's the piece with the consistency, which we kind of um, we kind of covered that when you're tracking these numbers it's not so much the absolute number for like May that you're going to be worried about. You're trying to look at how is this being maintained over time and how are the things that I'm doing and the tests that I'm running and the changes I'm making to my overall marketing plan, how are those affecting those individual numbers? Because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. So just not to get hung up on that.
1: Mm -hmm. the day to day
0: stuff. It's really your trends and your patterns. That is where all the gold is in this kind of stuff.
1: And so to clarify, you're not even so much talking about the numbers for big periods of time. It's not like this year versus last year, as much as it is, is what direction are these numbers going in? Is that right? Exactly.
0: Right. Like you're looking going, I now know what my baseline is. So say, for example, we're measuring um, the landing page conversion Mm -hmm. rate to an email list. And once you know that you're converting, say, at 56% and you're saying I'm making changes, I'm testing headlines, I'm doing these sorts of things. How is that trending? Because you knowing that number is far more important than if you say like an industry benchmark is, say, for example, 20% conversion rate on a landing page. If you consistently have a much higher conversion rate. That's fantastic, right? Like, never mind the benchmarks. If you know what your own benchmarks mm-hmm. are, those are a lot more powerful because then you can see if you're actually trending in the right direction when you're doing different tests and trying out different marketing channels.
1: And that is exactly what I love when we run those A, B tests on, especially we've been doing so many of them on landing pages lately on registration page for different um, free offers and things like that. And it's so nice to get those clear numbers and to be able to just, you know, compare A to B and C, okay, this one converted at a slightly higher percentage rate, and then we can iterate from there. Exactly. And you just
0: use like the traffic that's coming to the page, you're making so much better use of everything. Right. And it's always so gratifying, especially when it's like a huge win, you know, when you like double the conversion rate on a page um, just by doing, you know, a small change Mm -hmm. or even a big change really, and just iterating on it. And the fact that you now know that twice as many people are going to be able to come into your world and learn about what you do. Yeah. And it's not like you're doing anything differently, right? You're not marketing more. You're not, you're just being more efficient with what you're doing, which is why I've always loved and geeked out about my, measurement marketing because it just makes everything you do more efficient
1: yes yes i think yeah. that's why i love it too we recently <laughs> tested the color on a landing page just the color that some of the text was the color the button was we changed it from one color to another and it literally doubled the conversion rate on that page it's like <laughs> i wish i did this last year right how many more right, reads, like how many more sales are did? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely okay so walk me through a few different things that we could be testing
0: So, well, depending on kind of your business model, but we'll go for most of the time, there's like a lead generation aspect, and Mm -hmm. then there is some sort of sales aspect. Uh, So, always landing pages, as I've mentioned, landing pages, landing pages, it's one of the biggest things to test and iterate, because it's like that big door that gets people into your business, especially if you're um, sending people to your landing pages from any kind of like paid traffic, social media, anything, you just... I mean, you can literally double the amount of people that come into your world just by paying attention to that. So industry benchmark is 20% from cold traffic. Warm traffic should be substantially more than that. Um, but honestly, if I'm paying for the traffic, I don't like it to be less than 35% on a mm-hmm. landing page um, just to make sure we're actually getting um, getting our money's worth. And then some people with warm traffic convert like 80% and higher, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And that's the important yeah. part of like just knowing your space and knowing your people uh, really makes all the difference. So that's a huge one email sequences, right? Because usually it's, where it's just kind of like picking apart that path that people take after they kind of get onto your email list, testing that welcome sequence, like they will never be more excited to be on your list than the moment they have signed up. And it's usually one of the, well, people get in their head about it, I think, because that welcome sequence is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't exist, because, <laughs> or it's like halfway done, or it's not as good as it could be, but really setting up the value and all the expectations in that first little bit of like testing different subject lines calls to action different types of content you know just pure value some driving things to sales some not like just working with all the different options in that welcome sequence space if there's any kind of funnel to a purchase uh, that you're working on obviously testing all of that as well but just looking at like when you really look at it um like an email sequence if nobody's opening the email, then don't really worry about focusing on the body copy yet, right? Like so often people are like, I'll just rewrite this whole email series. And you're like, well, if no one's opening it, you don't actually know if the body copy is any good yet, right? Yeah. Like so really don't swing for the fences when you just have like a little tiny problem. So try to like focus in on those like kind of discrete tests more so than anything. Sales page testing, the same way as landing pages. Um, carts, just clarity of things. Um, so often when people have sales pages, they're often like missing huge sections of things that people could really use to make the decision. Overcomplicating, purchasing, like there's 75 options available, right? Like mm. all the different payment plans and there, there's just so many different things you can test around simplifying, clarifying, and making those like a, just a really seamless experience, testing it on mobile, especially if you're running paid traffic. All of those sorts of things are worthwhile tests to do. And uh, yeah, and you'll be amazed at just something that maybe you kind of didn't see that is really kind of aggravating your customers endlessly and losing out on sales.
1: This episode is brought to you by Startup Society. If you run an online business or you're thinking about starting one, then Startup Society is the place for you. It's a boot camp training program for entrepreneurs, plus an incredibly supportive membership community. If you're looking for a framework to make building an online business as simple and straightforward as possible, then that's exactly what you'll find inside Startup Society. Every month, we create a step-by-step action plan for our members to follow to create a specific result in their business so that they can keep moving forward and growing. Past action plans have helped our members write their websites, launch online courses, and hire their first employees. And when you become a member, not only will you get access to our future action plans, but you'll also get access to our entire library of past action plans, including the ones that I just mentioned. You'll also get business coaching directly from me during our live monthly coaching sessions. During these sessions, you can ask any business questions that you have so that you can make sure that you get the answers you need in order to be able to keep moving forward and not get stuck. As a member, you'll also be invited into our membership community where you can connect with other online entrepreneurs who are crushing it so that you can be inspired and make some lasting connections. If you're interested in becoming a member of Startup Society, then there's no time like the present to make that happen. To sign up, just head to gillianperkins.com slash Startup Society. Again, that's gillianperkins.com slash Startup Society. And as a listener of this podcast, I have a special offer for you. You can become a member of Startup Society for $10 off every single month. Just use code EARNMORE when you are signing up. Again, that code is EarnMore, all one word, and it will give you $10 off your monthly membership cost. If you want to turn your online business into a success as quickly and as strategically as possible, then I would love to work with you to make that happen. And now let's get back to the episode. you mentioned email welcome sequences and i think one of the toughest thing about testing with email welcome sequences is that there are so many different things going on there's so many different things you can test even just in that one sequence with the open rates and the click through rates and you could be changing the body copy you could be making the emails significantly shorter or longer or changing the subject line where should you start with that
0: so that i would start with are people even opening it because that's you know the same ways if people aren't opting into your landing page then you have to work on your landing page and don't even worry about the rest of stuff, right? But with the with the welcome sequence or with any email sequence, if someone isn't opening it, work on the subject line. Okay. Add more curiosity. Do all those, just try, I mean, there's a million things you could Google around really good email subject lines to test that. If you're getting a solid open rate, and once again, you'll know your benchmark, mm-hmm. right? I've seen any, from 50% to 15%, depending on the size of the email list and the type of business. Uh, so there's also really good industry benchmarks that you could you know, Google and check just to see if you're really unfamiliar of whether you're really bad or really good, and you just kind of want to have an idea of where you fit in the world there, which can be very useful. Um, you can Google that and check because it does vary based on industry. But after that, you know, you're looking at body copy, you know, short, long call to action. Are there multiple calls to action and people getting confusing? Can you simplify it to just one? Like, what is the whole point of that email, right? Like testing content only versus calls to action to things.
1: Something that trips me up sometimes is the fact that what you have done in the past or what you do today affects what you do in the future. So from the outside you might think that only the subject line affects whether or not someone opens an email. But in reality, it's the subject line plus whatever you sent them yesterday and whatever you sent them last week, right? Is there any way that we can include that past What we did in the past in our marketing data, you have any tips there? Because sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'm just not quite sure what to do when it comes to figuring out the real reason why, you know, maybe an email doesn't have as high of an open rate as I would like it to. Right. Well,
0: exactly. Past experience. That's always something to look at whenever you're doing any kind of marketing measurement at all is the past experience and what per- somebody's exposure to you has been previously mm-hmm. is always very important to consider with what they're doing currently right um so usually if something if someone's having just email open rate problems in general it's always yeah what came before was that interesting are we giving people enough value and that's once again why that welcome sequence could be so important because if you set up that i am a person who delivers incredible content i know what you need i'm very in tune with what's going on for your audience and you're really over delivering. that sets people up for much higher open rates going on into the future into launches all those things where there's only so much you can do right Mm -hmm. if you haven't been doing a really good job with that email list in general then there's yeah there's only so much you can do to a subject line Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get somebody to open it Um, and it really is all about over delivering and standing out in your space and paying a lot of attention to copywriting.
1: I think that's why running some sort of re-engagement campaign or sequence before a launch is a great idea if someone hasn't been consistently emailing their list. I mean, it is a band-aid solution. It's not going to completely fix the problem, but it's better than just live launching to a cold list. Than just
0: live launching cold, yeah, (laughs) Exactly. That's usually a recipe for like 10 and 12% open rates, right? Mm -hmm. Which can be really, really sad.
1: Yes. And potentially (laughs) damaging your list long-term as well.
0: Well, completely. Like you'll just cannibalize it eventually yeah. where people are just like, oh, right. I'm hearing from them again. I guess I know what's coming now. Right. And like, that's never how we want people to think about it. So it's uh, it, it can be hard sometimes when, you know, in the rush of all the things that we have to do to remember to do kind of some of those foundational things, but it goes an awful long way. To keeping that list active and healthy
1: so often when i'm doing different testing in my own business to get this data so that i can make these more data-informed marketing decisions um i i am so surprised by the results that we get where we'll be testing one landing page against another um, and the one that I thought would convert much higher performed significantly worse. Um, Two examples off the top of my head were one we had an ugly landing page that had like our old branding and it was very I would say just unprofessional looking and we polished it up we made it look you know very nice and the old ugly one performed better (laughs) which then I was like well what do we do you know we don't want to be like putting this, this image out onto the inner Right, we want to have this professional looking brand. And then another one was we have a landing page that I started out with this super short landing page. It's for the registration for an event that we do. And it literally only says the name of the event and then enter your name and email. And that's all it says. And it was kind of running really well, but we thought, you know, there's always room for improvement. So we started trying to add things to it, like testimonials about how amazing people said the event was um, and more details about the event and Everything we did made it perform worse. And we finally just decided, okay, this page is just converting at like 80%. We should just leave it alone because we can't beat it with anything, right? Do you have any (laughs) examples that you could share um, with me and with the audience about some surprising results you've gotten on tests?
0: We've had, like we've doubled conversion rates from changing button copy, like not Mm -hmm. even color. That's always fun. We're like, oh, awesome! But it makes it is like being more informative about what the button meant and like what would happen after you clicked. Yeah. Right. So it's not it's not just changing it from like sign up to enroll now. It was like making it actually like quite long, oh. more conversational button. Um, just <laughs> a because conversational people
1: button. Okay. <laughs> a
0: conversational <laughs> button where it really informed people. Like it actually we changed the button copy and then added like some mice type really small mm-hmm. um, underneath the button that really just kind of rounded like this is what's going to happen after you press it because we were thinking that people might the hypothesis was that maybe people were unsure and hesitant about the next step and therefore that was um was impacting things i've seen like the the short copy like really basically like headline call to action Mm. button do really really well changing a picture from you know one piece of like say like a group shot of a whole bunch of people kind of from an event that a client had to switching it to a stock image and having the stock image do better when, of course, we all assume that like smiling people and everything else like that uh, does better. Uh, we've split test happy images, like of more aspirational, because uh, that's the, the train of thought, really, the kind of the marketing space is that you want to show people kind of in the more aspirational after you know, situation mm-hmm. rather than kind of sad and gloomy, and that like really serious pictures of this business owner did much much better, where she looked kind of mean, um, <laughs> versus really happy pictures I'll of have her. I'll try that one. <laughs> yeah, like I'm serious and I mean business. And then we've also had the opposite to be true, right? Because so much, so much of the conversion rate and the success of any page depends on who's landing on it. So that that is really tricky because sometimes we do a test, we're running a certain kind of traffic there and it does a certain way. And then if we change traffic sources or we change kind of the the warmth of that traffic, or even when we change the types of cold audiences, then we always have to make sure that we're looking at it. And that's why the trends over time are so important because even when you do an A-B test, it's a snapshot in time that is showing you the results of this specific traffic source and yeah, where traffic comes from and who that person is and what they know and where they are in kind of their, their buying journey with your particular type of product is going to make all the difference. And, and it makes it tricky. I mean, you just don't want to like drive yourself insane with it. It's more like once it's good enough Mm -hmm. and you feel like you have a really solid conversion rate, then it's like time to go on to other stuff because truly you can do it endlessly. And, And most small business owners do not have nearly, you just don't have endless time to be doing it.
1: I personally find this kind of stuff so fun. And so my challenge is to not spend too much time because it is fun, but to make sure that I'm always working on A-B testing or, you know, some sort of iteration on the weakest link in that sales process. So there's going to be one metric that is performing worse than all the other ones. And that is where I need to focus my testing. So beyond these simple A-B tests with like landing pages or email copy or things like that, um, what what else does data-driven marketing include that maybe people might not be aware of?
0: So the, the last two things that we work on when we're um, kind of doing a, a workup for people is that you use your data to forecast. So it's something we talked about. It really goes back to the plan, mm-hmm. um, but it helps you make your plan better once you have all that data, right, that you talked about, that people can really dial in and get their forecast. But the second piece is just overall optimization, because when we're thinking about those discrete tests, there's also the, like, changing traffic sources, different marketing channels. Like, for example, with YouTube, you have you know, that huge presence there, does that one perform better? Does YouTube perform better for some people than, you know, say Instagram, but yet they're spending all their time on Instagram. So there's some of those just macro decisions where you see how you're spending your time you know, whether you've got your email marketing, your social, you know, all of that SEO, like what all makes up that kind of that inbound awareness type of traffic. And how is that all converting? Because some of it's going to work a lot better than others. And what's often really shocking is when you go in and people like, but I love this one, like, it's like a pet project that people have, but maybe there's like literally no evidence that that like pet project has ever sold anything. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you don't keep doing it. Right. Cause if you do have the time and et cetera, like that's something you love to do, then knock yourself out. But most of the business owners that I work with, they're at a point where they're like trying to eliminate all of this extra and really focus on everything from the most successful marketing channels, right down to, I, you know, I have four different funnels that are associated with four different lead magnets and offers. Which one of those four, for example, is actually working the best? Like, where should I really be sending my traffic? Mm -hmm. And how do I amplify what's already working? Which is where the paid traffic comes in. Because once you find out what's working, you can actually do less work because you've already done the work, right? And a lot of those optimizations um, and those tests, then all of a sudden you know where to send people. You're using your time to its best advantage, and you can see much better results with it as well, which is ultimately what most of the clients I work with are trying to get to.
1: That ties in so perfectly to the heart of this podcast, all about figuring out how to work less and earn more. And every month I do these like income reports to talk about the different sources of income that my business has and our different expenses. But then in the second part of them, I talk about where I spent my time. And so I can see how the time that I spent relates to these different income sources and you know which one is really the best use of my time. But I love the added element that this brings, where we're also bringing in things like conversion rates to figure out where strategically it makes the most sense, like you said, to direct most of our traffic. Um, Because if we have two different opt-in offers, for example, and one of them converts twice as well as the other, then it would make sense to be sending most of our traffic to the one that converts a lot better. You also mentioned Instagram. You're talking about like Instagram traffic versus YouTube traffic. Um, And I think that Instagram especially... Now, not to say that Instagram isn't an amazing tool and it can't really be used... Uh, to generate leads and customers but you're talking about like pet projects that people just really like you know I think for a lot of people that can be Instagram where Instagram is like a yeah. fun social media platform where you can potentially waste a lot of time but if you're not using it strategically it might not really be impacting your bottom line.
0: Absolutely it's one of the it is the one I was totally thinking of because it's the <laughs> one that I have the most conversations with clients about either they hate it and they're like why do I have to do this and then the conversation I was like really I sure you don't (laughs) like, you know, I've seen every different kind of marketing configuration. And the nice thing is, um, for those of us that all like to do different things is that you can make pretty much any of them work Mm -hmm. with consistency and iterative testing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but Instagram is one of those where people are like, does this even matter? Like, is this, like, is this making a difference? So they'll, they'll love it. They'll spend a lot of time and it's not impacting the bottom line in the same way. That some other avenues uh, they have are, yeah. or yeah, they hate it and they want to they want to get off the hook with having me give them the permission to not do it at all. Yeah, <laughs> so that's <laughs> like not so
1: that's not to say to anyone like you have to quit Instagram. Instagram doesn't work. If you love Instagram, then you need to get strategic with Instagram so it will impact your bottom line. If you don't love it fine you don't have to do it you have permission yeah, don't do it. <laughs>
0: exactly and if yeah that's the thing if you do love it and it's a really great creative outlet there are ways to be very strategic about it and actually measure the impact it's having on your business there are totally ways to do that uh, which is really important because it can suck up an awful lot of your time really and right. well, anything can right so it's just really good to know how it's working
1: before we wrap this up, do you have any final advice for anyone who is interested in getting started with making more data driven decisions in their business?
0: Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, it's okay. It's definitely it's a, it's a big question with uh, you could, like endless rabbit holes you could go down. But the biggest thing really is just to start with that plan and know that it does not need to be as complicated. You don't need to go and use any fancy software. You probably have all the numbers that you need at your fingertips in some of the tools that you already use and and just start pulling a few numbers that are those really big picture kind of KPI North Star metrics that we talked about around sales, conversion rates, leads, and just start there. And, you know, don't have huge expectations on yourself in the beginning and just do it consistently for a couple of months and start to see what you see and get curious and start asking questions about how you can improve them. It's the best way to start.
1: Well, this has been awesome, Rita. Thank you so much for your time and just for geeking out with me over this topic that I love talking about and working on so much. So thank you so much. Um, if listeners want to find out more about you and find you on the internet, where can they do that?
0: The best place to find me is uh, on my website. It's at ritaberry.ca and that's B-A-R-R-Y, not like the fruit. And and that's it. And I don't use social a lot because I'm a service-based business and I don't need to and I don't like to. So see, there you go. (laughs) You can make a business work even without it.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you again, Rita. We'll be sure to leave a link to your website in the show notes so people can find you there. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to right now and share it on Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see that you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so that they too can learn how to work less, earn more, and take back their lives. And if you really love the show, then head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review to give it a boost. Not only will this help the show out, but it's also going to give you the chance to win a 12-month membership to Startup Society. Each week, I'll be picking one winner. To enter, all you need to do is post a review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to include your Instagram handle so we can send you a DM if you win. Okay, now let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins, and until next week, stay focused and take action.